Test Podcast featuring GM Olikob. Welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. Today, I'm honored to be joined by my chess coach, Grandmaster Ori Kobo from Israel. Ori, you are 23 years old. Right, right. And uh, you're currently a psychology student. Right, yeah, this is true. And you also recently uh, had a very strong performance in the Israeli championship. Yeah, I don't know if very strong, but uh, it was it was not bad. Let's put it like this. Yeah. So it was the Israeli championship was uh, was thirty two participants. Right. Yep. And you finished, I think, tied for third. Uh, yeah, I mean, t- tied for uh, fourth, fifth places. Um, yeah. So um, that was that was over the board in Haifa. Right. Um, were you expecting that you were going to play the championship this year? Because I think it was scheduled actually for last year. Yeah, it was actually never clear if it's going to happen. In fact, it was uh, it was at the beginning scheduled for uh, December uh, uh, twenty twenty, and then it was postponed uh, to January, and then it was postponed once again to February, and then once again to March. So, um, yeah, due to the uh, COVID nineteen situation. Uh, it was never clear if it's going to actually take place, but uh, fortunately, eventually the tournament happened um, a few weeks ago, and it was really a special feeling to get the chance to play over the board once again after so long. Uh, yeah, it was really a great experience. Uh, in this tournament, had kind of you know, if you would have won the tournament, you would have uh, represented Israel in the World Cup. So yeah. um what what so I guess I'm sure like the listeners will want to know like what is what is a typical day like for a grandmaster when it comes to preparing for a tournament because the way I prepare for a tournament uh is much different from how you must have been preparing so are you looking to like prepare for specific opponents are you preparing specific like openings what do you, what's basically what was your game plan like knowing that you would play in this tournament yeah, that, that, that's a good question. Actually, it's it's quite funny because my preparation to the tournament, uh, you can say it, it lasted like a few months because I was expecting it to happen already uh, three months earlier and then it was postponed again and again. So it was like uh, uh, never-ending preparation. <laughs> and um, in, in my case, uh, I think it was mainly looking for some new opening ideas um and also trying to think about the potential opponents in the tournament uh, uh trying to get into some mindset about how to play against them against different uh, uh strong opponents in, in the event uh, trying to think which kind of game do i want to get uh, against a certain opponent uh, um in a psychological aspect of uh, which kind of uh position should I um, look for against uh, different types of opponents uh, yeah I think this was mainly my, my preparation uh, but uh, also at the same time I, I was quite busy with uh, uh, school tasks uh, with the uh, psychology degree so uh, I had to combine both things together yeah so, you know, another thing is because this was over the board. So, so first of all, 
Um, were you having to quarantine inside a hotel? Were, did you have to present like negative COVID tests? Or were you already vaccinated? I know Israel is doing very well with vaccinations. So was it just kind of like, was it more chill or was there still like, you know, a lot of precautions that were necessary for the sake of the over the board aspect? Yeah, it was um, um, kind of uh, both things together. I mean, it was kind of a chill together with some uh, restrictions. So basically, I think like half of the participants or something like that were already uh, vaccinated. Uh, myself, I had my first uh, uh, vaccine out of two just a few days before the tournament. Uh, so I had to present a negative uh, COVID test. Um, before the tournament and also twice during the tournament. Uh, we had like uh, uh, COVID tests yeah, in the middle of the tournament and uh, towards the end of the tournament. And uh, also the games were uh, taking place with kind of, a, uh, how to call it, like a plastic um, thing in the middle of the board between the players to uh, kind of keep on some uh, social distance. So these were the main uh, anti-COVID uh, um, things that uh, took place. But otherwise, besides that, I think the tournament was really running smoothly. Like um, Besides this, it felt like a really normal tournament. And it was really... Uh, such a great fun to play, I think, for, for everybody involved. So um, the, the restrictions were not really uh, taking away the, the excitement of playing again. So you're originally from Jerusalem. And before we talk about, yeah. you know, the kind of the chess scene there, when did you start playing chess? Was it like something you wanted to play? Was it like from your family? And I guess what I'm really wondering is, at what point in your you know chess journey did you start to realize that wow I'm I'm I could be a very strong player? Yeah, so uh, my father taught me to play chess when I was about five or six years old, uh, but it took me a few more years to actually um, get really involved in the game and to to really uh, fall in love with it, uh, which happens around the age of nine. I remember uh, when I was about nine years old, I went to uh, a simul game by Boris Gelfand in uh, in some museum in, in Jerusalem. Uh, I still, I mean, I was not really playing myself. I, I just came with my family to, to watch. And uh, I think that particular event uh, kind of uh, got me really interested in chess. I don't know what, what it was there, um, but... Uh, just something about seeing it uh, as a young kid, I think, was really impressive and got me really interested uh, about diving deeper into chess uh, around the age of 9, 10, which is, I think, quite late uh, by today's standards, but uh, uh, that's the way it was. And then I think I just started uh, uh, going to chess classes and uh, really basically doing chess uh, anytime I could uh, as a little kid. And well, at which point did I realize that I could become uh, a strong player? It's a good question. I don't really know the answer, to be honest. Uh, 
um i think like my main drive was uh always my the kind of drive to to just learn more about this beautiful game to kind of understand the game better to see how the best players in the world play to try to think along um and to to find their moves and um yeah i have the feeling this was like my main uh, motivation i i don't think i really i was thinking too much about results so um or about uh, like becoming a really strong player but i think my main drive was just uh, um just to to understand the game better yeah i mean uh i i i i definitely sense the passion i guess um you know now that you are a grandmaster and you're still in school i think i actually asked you about this um during our lesson today um but just for the podcast first of all i mean do you see yourself uh you know continuing uh, or trying to continue a career in chess, you know, over the board for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future, or are you, are you more focused now on, on kind of just, uh, on, uh, on your, on a, on a, like a, I don't want to say practical career, but you know, like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. The thing is that, um, uh, the, the word uh, career is quite interesting in this regard because, um, like a few years ago when i um uh, finished uh school like uh, uh high school uh i was really focused on uh improving in chess i was uh an international master and i was uh uh working quite hard to to get the g m title and uh, uh i was really hoping to um kind of ma- make some kind of a career as a chess player um and um then i became a grandmaster um uh, two years later in 2017 um but i never really managed to hit uh the level that i was really hoping to uh to achieve i think at some point i i hit some kind of uh, uh plateau some uh kind of situation where um i got a little bit stuck and um there was also uh this kind of pressure in mind of uh is it possible to be a chess professional or not is it possible to um to to make money out of uh, just playing chess and to kind of make a living like that and um somehow it it became quite clear that it's not going to be uh uh, an easy option or let's say a, a realistic option uh, for many different reasons and um, well at some point I, I, I took kind of a break from uh, playing tournaments kind of trying to understand uh, um, like to reassess uh, what, what are my plans and now at the moment I think um, I'm mainly playing chess to enjoy, so I'm definitely planning to continue uh, playing chess uh, for many more years, but not as a career, but more just uh, as a way to j- just enjoy and keep on trying to uh, to get better and to to understand the game better, but not with some uh, professional aspirations, but 
just um, just for fun, yeah, because I cannot imagine myself not playing chess, but um, simply without any pressure of trying to 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 become something to to reach some level, but just to to enjoy mainly. Yeah, and I mean, you know, nonetheless, I mean, there's I think something like seventeen hundred. 1700 grandmasters in the world so you know out of out of like the tens if not hundreds of millions of people who have you know played chess before i think there's still there's still always going to be a place for you in um in the chess world to you know <laughs> to play in in tournaments i'm wondering like have you have you ever considered like maybe like doing like streaming because i know that streaming has become very popular for players of of all levels yeah yeah actually i um Recently, together with a few Israeli friends, uh, Gun Masters and International Masters, we we've opened uh, uh, a new Twitch account, and uh, we started uh, doing some streaming. It's not yet um, uh, running uh, regularly, but uh, we are hoping to uh, to take it uh, some steps forward and uh, to do it a bit more seriously. Yeah, I think it's a really it's a very nice thing in. Uh, in the chess world, which uh, becomes really popular recently, especially uh, in the last year, uh, since everyone is at home, it's much more easier and uh, accessible to everyone. And um, yeah, we, we are trying to do to do it as well. Do I know in, in America, um, Twitch has become very popular, but is is it the same way in Israel? Is there like a, are there a lot of people, like especially maybe you know under age of eighteen, let's say? Um, is, is that like common among people to like watch Twitch streams or is it something that hasn't really caught on? Because I know like um, when I've been to Israel, because um, my father is Israeli, um, I always kind of felt like um, like right as something was like just like, like let's say a, a popular song, if it was like a year old, that's when I would hear it in Israel like going everywhere. I always felt like there's a little bit of a delay. So I'm wondering, yeah. like, has the Twitch boom like really hit um in in israel yet or is it still something that's kind of up and coming yeah that, that's a good question i think the i think that it's really not yet uh, uh hitting up in the same way like in the us and in other places um maybe it will but uh, the problem i think is that chess in general is not uh, that popular in israel so uh, i guess it will never be like uh uh, like in the US, for example, but um, yeah, I hope that uh, maybe one day uh, we will manage to to get it a bit more uh, popular, and uh, um, yeah, maybe there will be more interest in in streams and in uh, Twitch. And I think it's interesting that you say that too, because I think it was at this point ten years ago, Boris Gelfand actually was the world championship challenger against uh, Viswanathan Anand. Right, um, yeah. And I know you said that you saw him at a simul. I know that you've also told me in our lessons that, you know, you've, you've studied chess with him um, and, like, looked at games and stuff. So do you kind of remember yeah. an excitement, um, at least in the Israeli chess community for that, or was it just more of like yeah. a, you know? Yeah, you know, definitely. Yeah, I think that um, during 2012, the year of the match uh, against Anand, uh, uh, chess was really... Uh, it definitely created some kind of a chess boom uh, in Israel, also in the chess community and also 
among people who were not chess players or not following chess before. I think definitely a lot of people in Israel and uh, uh, the media also uh, followed the the match quite closely. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I I don't think it uh, continued afterwards. Yeah, it, like it was kind of a um, temporary thing thanks to the to the match. Uh, I'm not sure that it um, kind of continued uh, in the long term. I think in America it's been kind of the same thing because like this was like two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now. But Fabiano Caruana was American. He faced Magnus in the World Chess Championship, and it was kind of like you saw something in the New York Times. You saw like people kind of picking up on it, but I don't think it really was a sustained. I think people were just kind of, you know, interested that oh, an American is playing in this thing, you know, and nobody had really heard of him. Um, yeah, and you know, maybe I'm not even sure if he had won the match. Um, that he would have become some kind of like Fisher-like character in America. I'm really, I'm really not sure that would have happened. But um, yeah, the Gelfand Anand match was uh, was I've I've looked at all the games and I I think that like game eight the 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 18 move you know with uh, with uh, Gelfand taking on on H1 yeah yeah I, that that uh, I mean that I think that's like the shortest um, decisive match in the World Chess Championship history. 18 moves and had he not lost that game he could have actually been the world champion which is uh you know really crazy to think about in a way yeah 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 um i think in that particular game eight probably um the pressure got to him i I guess um because just one day earlier he he won game number seven which was a very very uh special game and uh, I mean, I think it was a, a very high class game that he won, and uh, obviously his first uh, his first win ever in a game in a world championship match. So um, I mean, I, I guess these are the kind of situations that even a player who is so much experienced like uh, like Boris Gelfand, uh, I mean, I guess those are moments that can um, disbalance you a little bit. Um, to to be in such a, uh, I mean, in a world championship match to, uh, to win your, to win the game and take the lead in the match, I guess, uh, um, it put him under some pressure on the next day, mm-hmm. and yeah, I guess this is the result for, uh, I mean, this is the reason for the quick loss in the next in the next game. Yeah, and I mean, also, like, when, when Magnus uh, was defending against uh, Karyakin in New York, it was kind of something similar where, where Karyakin actually took the lead briefly and then and then just, you know, I think it was one or two games later, just uh, Magnus just, like, outfought him and, and you know, yeah. the score went back. So, you know, that's uh, kind of the mentality of, you know, you know the, the pressure of facing a world champion is... Uh, is exactly. Is definitely yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, holding... Uh... A lead in the World Championship match is probably quite a tough task, yeah. Yeah, you know, maybe even harder than 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 coming from behind because you have everything to lose in a way. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you you can already imagine yourself winning the title, yeah, and uh, that that's exactly the moment where slips can happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so um, 
with Boris, he was actually he was a Soviet immigrant, I think. I think he was born in Belarus. Yeah. And I know that the the first generation of super strong um Israeli grandmasters like Boris and Ilya Smirin, they came from the Soviet Union. Right. Um do you think that there is like a, a growing uh generation of of you know young hungry grandmasters in in Israel who are, you know, ready to kind of take Israeli chess to the next level? I mean, I I say that I think Israeli chess is actually very well represented given the size of the country in in like world uh world chess i think there's some some very strong grandmasters who are israeli and boris yeah. of course was uh was up until even a couple of years ago was still playing like top level tournaments so you know what what's kind of what do you think is like the next step for israeli chess on the world stage yeah that, that's a good question and not uh not not, not an easy one to answer because I, i want to i want to be optimistic but it's not uh not so simple uh given the the current situation um like on the one hand i, I have played now in the national championship and uh, one thing that was very clear in the tournament is that uh, there is a a new generation which is up and coming of uh, many young players who are very hungry to improve and to uh, and are really really talented uh, i think i myself in the tournament i faced like maybe five or six uh in, in five or six of my games were against players uh with an average age of like 17 maybe 16 i don't know and uh they are all very talented and improving very fast so that's a very uh pleasing thing to to see and on the other hand uh it's not so easy to tell how many of them will be uh able to reach uh, grandmaster level and also maybe to become professionals i think that um nowadays in israel especially it's very very difficult to to be a chess professional because i don't think that chess is really um regarded as a profession in, in israel it's not uh, um kind of a cultural cultural thing like in some other um countries and um i mean the, the more um, realistic part that most uh, juniors choose is eventually to go to university study something uh, uh, to make a living and um so i really hope that we will have some strong generation of uh, grandmasters uh, who are now very young and will be able to really um kind of keep, keep Israel on on the world chess map but uh, I'm not sure how how realistic is it uh, whether it's going to happen or not and you know like talking talking about the the world chess map this is actually something I don't think I've ever asked you but something I've been curious about um the Iranian Chess Federation has a ban well Iranian sports in general they have bans on playing against Israelis Yeah. Uh, some may say it's it's due to uh you know anti-semitism other may, people may say it's because of uh you know just political issues and you know um attitudes towards zionism um nonetheless um is this something that you've had to deal with in your your chess career like you know having to just get an automatic win yeah like around your player and i guess what i'm really wondering is like how do, how do you feel about that do you kind of think that's a shame 
Um, yeah, so I, actually, I did have uh, such an experience not so long ago. I was playing uh, Gibraltar Open in 2020, just a little bit before uh, COVID came into our lives. And, uh, well, Gibraltar is one of the best Opens out there in the world, a very, very strong tournament, uh, one of my favorites. And I was paired in the second round against uh, an Iranian Grandmaster. Um, don't remember now exactly his name, so... Um, yeah, not, not, not sure what's his name, so I will not say not to, to get it wrong, but... Um, yeah, and obviously he didn't uh, he didn't appear to the game, and uh, I got this um, infamous um, kind of uh, win by I mean, technical win, uh, which many Israeli players uh, experienced as well. And yeah, I think it's especially depressing if you are playing, for example, for a, for a norm like for an international master norm or GM norm, and then you. Uh, you miss the chance because you you get uh, um, technical win, so it is quite uh, disappointing. Uh, regarding the situation in general, uh, it's definitely quite a shame, and uh, it's not really the fault of the Iranian players because there's nothing they can do about it. It's not their personal decision, but basically they are forced to uh, to avoid games against. Israeli opponents. Um, otherwise, they would have to deal with the very unpleasant uh, circumstances in, in their country. Um, yeah, I think it's just uh, really a disappointing situation. But as long as I know uh, FIDE is taking uh, some steps uh, to stop this uh, situation, I know that uh, they are trying to force the the Iranian Federation to to make the their players play against uh, Israeli opponents. Otherwise, they will be banned. I mean, the, the Iranian Federation from um, from FIDE. So I don't know where exactly is it standing right now, but uh, I know that some steps are taking place to uh, um, I mean to try to change this unfortunate situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I I do find it unfortunate too, and especially when you consider that their their top player, um, Ali Reza Faruja, um, he actually he's left the federation. He he actually yeah. fled Iran. Iran. I don't know. I think he left with his family too, because I see he streams with his brother. So I mean, I assume he he got his family out of there too. Yeah. Um, but it, there are some people saying that he will play for France, but he's currently he's currently federationless, and I think a big motivation of that was the fact that you know somebody who was trying to climb to you know, top 10, top five, maybe even be someday, you know, the world chess champion. I think, I think for a guy like Faruja, that is definitely a possibility. But yeah, um, yeah I mean, he, this was an impediment because anytime he would match up against an Israeli player, 2,600 Grandmaster or whatever, he just would have to forfeit and you, you just lose um, a lot of points, obviously a lot of rating points. And so, uh, and certainly, you know, there are other talented uh, players in Iran too, like Parham Maksulu. So, um, I definitely agree with you. I think people just kind of want to see good chess at the end of the day. Um, and uh, But it's not just the issue in chess. I think in judo too, in wrestling, I, th I think there's so many cases. It's, it's really like a, it's a universal attitude. So Yeah, yeah. You know, and as long as there's tension between Israel and Iran politically, I don't really see how that's going to change, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, the, the case with uh, Firuja, I think it's like a big... Uh... 
how to say, kind of a punishment yeah, for the Iranian Chess Federation. Like They, they lost uh, the, the greatest uh, talent the, the country had just because of uh, political reasons that has nothing to do with chess. So uh, it clearly shows that uh, I guess they have to change the attitude yeah, if, if they want to, to keep their best players. Yeah, and um, I, another thing I was wondering is, um, you know, Israel, of course, has a very, internally, has a very, to say the least, uh, has a very uh, difficult uh, situation, you know, given the, the situation between Israelis and Palestinians. But also, um, there is a sizable, like, Arab population in, in Israel, which I think a lot of people don't know. I think one in five Israelis is actually, is actually Arab, is not Jewish. Um, did you, when you were growing up and playing chess, um, did you perceive chess to be more like played among Jewish people or was there like, you know, Arab Israelis in the, in the Federation as well? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I started playing chess in the uh, Joe chess club in Jerusalem, um, which is um, uh, kind of, uh, I mean, when I started playing, the club was just uh, uh, growing uh, to, to become a really like, special um, chess place in, in Jerusalem. And uh, I think one of the main uh, principles of the club was that it's uh, kind of directed for people of all religions, even in, in the logo of the club. Uh, um, like the, the name Jerusalem was written with kind of signs uh, representing all three religions which is a really nice uh, thing. Um, and uh, when I grew up playing in the club, there were players, I think, from, uh, I mean, also Jews, also Arabs, like uh, there wasn't any feeling of, um, I mean, a a everyone was welcome. Everyone is welcome. So uh, I think it was a nice, a nice thing. Um, obviously, there are much more um, uh, Jews playing um, but uh, here and there you would see uh, also people from other religions and that's really a nice thing also one of the things I like about uh, Jerusalem in general as a city is that uh, I mean people are living in kind of uh, um, how to say I mean, in Hebrew we call it dukiyum uh, yeah like uh, um, I mean, ba basically uh, everyone is welcome. Let's, let's yeah, say like, it's like a harmony almost. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, I guess it depends where too. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, obviously, politically, there's a lot of tension, but uh, I mean, between, uh, uh, I mean, regular people, individuals, you have the feeling that everyone wants just to live a normal life and uh, without wars and uh, yeah. without any aggression. Yeah, I'm, I'm into that. I mean, it's uh, that's I think that's that's really the the ultimate dream is to have just to have peace peace in Israel and in the Middle East too. It yeah. would be would be fantastic. Um, you know, another thing. So I do want to talk a little bit about you as a coach because I know you are you are a, a coach on Lee Chess. First of all, um, are you still going to be taking uh, students? Maybe somebody who's listening might want to uh, to take lessons with you. So I'm wondering, are you still accepting students? Yeah, so at, at the moment it's a bit uh, complicated for me because um, I'm really quite busy with the, uh, with my studies. So it's uh, 
uh, a bit more uh, complicated for me to to accept currently new new students, but uh, uh, at some point in the future, definitely it will be possible. And I mean, when you when you talk, have you coached uh, any like players who are now you know very talented Israeli players? Have you have you ever done that, or is it mostly like people who are maybe you know like me yeah. or like a lower level? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have uh, coached a few uh, young talents in Israel uh, who keep on on going and getting stronger, and uh, I hope they will keep on improving. Yeah. I guess how how do you how do you like you 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 look at it at a student um who wants to improve and what's if you had to like uh, what 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 is how do you like diagnose what a student needs in their chest? Are you looking at their games? Are you like putting their stuff on chess base like how, how do you know how to help somebody because you know i'm trying to teach my french chess a lot of times and i really just like, don't know how yeah yeah basically i try to uh to see the students games to also discuss uh his games uh, together with him to uh get some idea about how he thinks about chess how he um decides for a move and um Try to learn from that uh, what are his weaknesses, what are his strengths, uh, which kind of positions he is more, um, let's say, feeling confident to play, and which kind of positions uh, he doesn't and needs to um, to focus uh, on them much more deeply. And uh, yeah, basically trying to diagnose really what are the weaknesses and what are the issues that should be. Um, lifted up basically now how how would you describe your playing style as a, as a player because i'm sure that also that you know that that kind of affects your overall chess philosophy but like you know how would how would you you know maybe without like saying too much to maybe leak stuff to your opponents or whatever <laughs> but um like how would you describe your your chess in like in like one or two sentences yeah that, that's uh that's a tough question like uh, I, i'm asking myself this question once in a while and uh, I don't have a very um, straightforward answer. <laughs> like, um, I mean, my, ideally, I would like to be like kind of a universal player who um, who can play any kind of position. I mean, eventually, that's the um, th that's the goal because uh, like any strong player like needs to be able to. Um, to play any kind of position, be it uh, a very dynamic uh, position or a very static position, uh, like you should be able to uh, to to control all kinds of uh, uh, dimensions of chess. Let's call it like this. Um, I guess my tendency is a little bit more kind of positional and uh, strategical. Um, like my kind of natural um, tendency, uh, but this is something I'm hoping to, um, let's say, to change or to, to like to get better also in much more, um, let's call it dynamic chess. And yeah, it's uh, not, not not so easy to define, but. Uh, I guess that that would be my answer. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, if you look at you, you've seen many of my games with a ter terrible piece sacrifice. That's just a blunder, actually. And you know, I'm sure maybe I hope that's not going to uh, you know impact your your own chess negatively. Um, as you know, <laughs> no, they say you learn from your students too. So, hope I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh... No, but actually, recently I had a game uh, in the Israeli Championship where I did uh, play some sacrifices, and I was actually thinking about you that this is uh, the kind of chess that you play and in that game it actually worked quite well so the, the 20, move, so, yeah. 20 move checkmate i was like i was i was looking at that game i was like at a boy nice very nice yeah so, so actually i i learned something uh, quite positive yeah, for me yeah you know like just uh, no reverse here i mean my i myself i think i'm really trying to become less of a less of a gunner and more of a more of a positional player um, yeah because i think that uh, I feel like I rely on tactics too much, and um, it's nice to be able to play for a square, play for a, like a, a hanging pawn, or like a loose pawn, rather than just you know say like point my bishop pair at the king and just, uh, just you know go all out. Because you know when that doesn't work, you often can just just be worse. So um, I think that yeah, and I think you you are making quite good progress this uh, in this tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, I hope, and uh, we're learning some new openings now to uh, to definitely to get there. You know, I think that's, I think, I, I think you're right, though. I think the goal that every everybody there, I would say that my perception from new friends who are getting into the game, they either all want to be like Mikhail Tal, which is understandable, um, definitely a, a great player to to idolize, but I think you know, I think that is like the holy grail of chess is to be. That's I think what Magnus is really like. He's a universal player. Somebody who exactly. really can play any position. And I think more of the top-level players, I think, in the last 10 years have really become that way. Since the last generation, like the, you know, like Kramnik and Anand are, like, kind of starting to fade out of chess. Though Anand maybe will still be playing top-level chess for a while. But, you know, I think, I think really, I can't think of any player in the top 10 right now who isn't, uh, you know, they have preferences. But even a guy like Maxime, who's always been considered a very tactical, sharp player, I think, He's shown in this the candidates which got cancelled, but I think he showed that he really can be a, a uni universal player, and that that is that's I think the the ideal. I think that's what separates, you know, the absolute best grandmasters from someone like you, who's still a, of course a, you know, twenty five hundred like very strong player, but you know the 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 twenty eight hundreds. I mean, that's just that it's that level of of comfort that we can only really get like once in a while, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. Also, I have the feeling really that uh, let's say with with the best players in the world, uh, when I look at the games, I have the feeling that uh, th there is no position that scares them. Yeah, like uh, about myself, I can tell that. Well, there are some lines, some openings that uh, I can look at. I, I can be very interested in it and in analyzing it. But uh, if I will get it over the board, I will feel a little bit. Uh, Whoa, what is happening here? Yeah, I, I will be a little bit. Uh, Shaking, yeah, um, and and sometimes I have the feeling about the top players is that they uh, basically each kind of position they they will manage to to find their way, even if it's not a position they 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 learn deeply earlier. And uh, uh, I think that that might be something that also makes a difference. Yeah, as long as it's not that that stupid Grunfeld trap, the the, the Anand one that we just looked at. I will, never, yeah. I will never play the Grunfeld again after that. <laughs> never. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and actually yeah, talking the... about like that game, um, 
Well, I more about like, do you feel when when you start? I'm, you so you you were born in 1997, so really your whole experience in chess must have been with computers to some extent, especially as you got better. Yeah. Yes. Um, do you think that um, there's like an over reliant? Because I know Magnus said recently that the the newest generation he feels doesn't have proper instincts that you could only get from books and reading the you know reading chess books. Do you do you feel like you know somebody who's now looking at a a newer generation, um, not just in Israel, but uh, you know, outside of the country. Do do you kind of think that that's true? That maybe um, we are too reliant on computers, or do you kind of just see them more as a necessary tool? Um, yeah, it's 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 a good point. I think that um, uh, it's definitely true that the the younger generation is really very reliant on on computers. Uh, it's basically something. Uh, I mean. Today's youngsters are basically born into it, so um, basically youngsters don't don't know anything else but working with the, uh, with an engine running and analyzing with an engine. Uh, it has its uh, pros and cons. Uh, I think that there are many advantages to it. Uh, it depends on uh, one's approach and basically uh, how a player works with the engine, like. Whether it's a tool which helps or whether it's the only thing, yeah, I think it's very, very important to uh, for any player who, who is aspiring to to improve. Uh, yes, to to use the engine to to work on chess and to analyze and to get better, but um, but not to rely solely on analyzing with the computer because it's very important to uh, to be able to to think about the position by yourself and to try to understand the position from a human point of view, which is, I, I think, something that, that many times uh, young players uh, fail to do, um, including myself sometimes. Uh, like, it's very easy to, to spend many hours analyzing some opening line and uh, seeing the engine evaluations, uh, declaring that some position is better for white or okay for black because the computer claims uh, 0 0.3 or Zero zero zero, and um, uh, and basically to, to 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 forget about actually looking at the position in a in a human eye and try to actually understand uh, for which side is it easier to to play this position, uh, what is the margin of error, uh, is it a position where it's uh, uh, like what one mistake will finish the game or whether it's a more uh, playable position and, and so on. So I think this is something that maybe uh, young players uh, can improve upon. And um, I mean, in in this sense, I have a lot of respect for the older generation, for basically all the grandmasters and masters of the past who basically spent their whole lives working on chess and analyzing chess uh, using only their brain and coming up with some fantastic ideas and very um, um, unique ideas in the openings and also in uh, middle game and end game analysis. And this is something I'm really impressed by every time I'm reading some old chess book and some analysis by grandmasters from the I don't know, 70s, 60s, whatever. Um, Obviously, it's filled with mistakes that uh, Stockfish can uh, point out very easily, but uh, 
the, the human touch, I think, is something that's really important. And um, on the other hand, using the computer also has a lot of benefits uh, if you do it uh, correctly. It, it can lead to some very exciting new ideas in the opening. Um, some things that you really need some uh, some good computer to um, to come up with. But yeah, I, I think basically it's about finding the balance here yeah, between uh, working correctly with the engine, but also keeping your brain working as well. Um, yeah, I mean, we just we had that the the game right when you joined the the lesson there where there's uh, the rook sacrifice, which the computer called a mistake. But it's only a mistake because there's one like eight moves deep line where you know, black needs to play. After I made the sacrifice, black would have to play this these like five ridiculous moves in a row. So you know, what yeah. we call a, a good move is is quote unquote refuted by the computer. But it's like you know, it's it's one thing for for the computer to tell you that this is you know this is better for somebody or this is a draw. But it's another thing to actually play that. And I I know actually this is why I actually got um I I was looking for a coach. Because I had kind of plateaued at somewhere like 1400, 1500 when coronavirus started, and I bought this Scandinavian course on chessable. Yeah. And uh, the chessable, I think the chessable courses, they're a little optimistic. Like they will, they will say, for example, you're, it was a Scandinavian course. So one of the lines um, is like a 16 move variation. It's pretty common. And the thing says, Alpha Zero says that this is, this is better for black. And you know, it's one thing for Alpha Zero to say that. It's an, but practically speaking, I actually got that position, the exact position, in a, like in a correspondence game, and like once or twice in a in a rapid game. And I can say I lost all three of those games, because um, you have some centralized queen, you have some weird like some weird pawn structure, and uh, it it's just it's so hard to play that. So, um, and and that was actually for me it was like, well, I really need to like learn chess. I can't just you know rely on you know the openings and stuff like that. Um, because just because the computer tells you something is better. It's it's one thing for that to be said. It's another thing for that to actually be true. Um, so I, I think yeah. you're on the money. And and speaking yeah. about like chess books, are there any chess books that you recommend for people like all levels, even even like you know people who are maybe just getting into chess? Because I'm sure you must have read a ton of chess books. Yeah. Um, first of all, one one series of books which I really liked and uh, I guess can be really interesting for. Uh, players of all levels is uh, Kasparov's series uh, my, on my great predecessors. Um, it's basically a series of books written by Gary Kasparov about uh, uh, all the previous world champions um, before him, which I think is a gives some ve very interesting insights into um, the, the the top of the chess world, basically. At each period of time, uh, not only the world champions, but also uh, the other top players of each uh, era. And uh, myself, I really enjoyed reading that, uh, reading the books and uh, going through the games with the chessboard. Um, uh, I remember when, when I was reading uh, um, a book about Spassky when I was much younger and uh, uh, I saw one of the games there that he played against uh, Bobby Fischer, and I managed to kind of guess correctly some of the moves that he played, and I that, that really gave me a lot of uh, inspiration. That uh, <laughs> like as a young kid, that I managed to to guess the moves of two 
world champions. So yeah, I think in general the, the books are really good. Um, well, regarding other books, I think it really kind of depends on uh, on the level of of a player, I guess, mm-hmm. and what is he trying to to look for, like which parts of the game he wants to improve, I suppose. Um, in general, I really, really like uh, Jacob Agard's books. Um, basically, he has this, uh, I think it's called Grandmaster's Preparation uh, series, which is um, basically a series of books about uh, uh, more or less all aspects of chess, like I mean, uh, tactics, attack, defense, dynamics, uh, prophylaxis, and so on which I really enjoyed, but I think it's to a much more advanced level. Like, I'm not sure that everyone would uh, um, would necessarily feel at home with with his books. So it, it really depends on mm-hmm. on the level of the player, I guess. Gotcha. Well, yeah, I, I, I know one book that I have actually read was Find the Plan by Bent Larson, and I always recommend that to people. I got, like, the ebook, and I just, like, kind of went through it on my phone and... Uh... That was that's a really good one. That was like because I Magnus Carlson said that was the first book that he read or remembered reading. Anyway. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Danish Grandmaster Bent Larson, who played alongside Fisher and Spassky, and yeah, yeah. And um, you know, I do have a couple of short questions to end off the episode, so I'll just you know rapid fire them. First of all, I'm wondering if there is um, a, what is like, again, just off the top of your head, don't need to think about it too much, but what is what is your most memorable game? Win loss doesn't matter. What's what's like one game that you just like think about a lot that you've played? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, yeah, I guess I have to pick uh, uh, a game I played against uh, Vasily Ivanchuk, uh, the legendary Ivanchuk. Uh, we played in uh, Gibraltar. Uh, actually, I had two games against him, which was a very special uh, experience to play against uh, a player who uh, I grew up studying his games, and um, I was always rooting for him. And uh, suddenly, to get the chance to play against him uh, two years in a row in Gibraltar, it was really special. Um, like uh, there was one game that uh, I won on time in the last position, which was um, not not something that. I was happy about, but actually the the second game I played against him it was in the last round of Gibraltar, and uh, I had really good chances to win that game. And if I would, I I would uh, share first place, which would be quite a special thing. Unfortunately, I kind of chickened in in the critical moment, and the game was a draw. Um, but I really remember like the emotions during that game. It was a really uh, special game, like the the adrenaline in my body and all that and it was really something unusual so yeah was there um a, ter- a particular tournament that you played because i you know you you must have played all over all over the world really or you know at least all over europe going to open tournaments to you know chase your grandmaster title so is there one particular tournament that you you remember very fondly um i guess the same tournament gibraltar um it's uh one place that i always uh, I'm really excited always to get back and play them because it's a really a very strong tournament with so many top gun masters and a very nice atmosphere. So yeah, I guess 
it has to be Gibraltar. And it's an open tournament too, right? So technically, yeah. I mean, anybody uh, could enter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. There are also like uh, I think a few tournaments for different levels, like also for uh, amateurs and. Uh, so yeah, it is. Uh, it is an open tournament. Do you know? Um, do you think you'll be playing any over the board tournaments this summer, given the coronavirus, or you'll be vaccinated at least? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I don't know. Uh, currently, it's really. It's difficult to plan anything ahead a few months in advance, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, because nothing is uh, is certain. But if there will be some good tournaments, I hope uh, I hope to play. Yeah, I just saw. I saw there's a open tournament in Chicago. So Chicago Open is one of the biggest events in America, and um, it's right after I graduate from from university. So like right, like five uh -huh. days after. So I I texted my friend. I was like, you know, we should. I, they also they have sections. So I was like, maybe we should like. You know, you take your like under fourteen hundred section. I'll try to take the under two thousand and see what happens. But I, I I think you're on the money. It's it's very hard to tell. And on one hand, I think it's I'm very grateful that that, that the coronavirus really there does seem to be an end in sight, like in a yeah. couple of months. But there's still so much uncertainty that it's it's hard to tell. You know. Yeah, hopefully in the summer it, it will be possible to to get back over the board and uh, yeah. all, all over the world. Has your um the Jerusalem Chess Club has it has it reopened or they're still cautious because I know the chess clubs in New York have not opened at all. Uh, I think it's planning to to reopen uh, in, in the next few weeks. So uh, I think they're planning to to hold some tournaments. I'm I'm definitely going to going to visit next time I'm in I'm in Israel because uh, I have a lot of family there and in Jerusalem especially. So uh, yeah, I think I would be would be a very good experience to kind of you know, absorb chess culture there. Sure. Yeah. Um, final question. This is a question I'm planning to ask every, every player who I, you know, interview on this podcast. Um, if there's one opening that you had to play for the rest of your life, <laughs> what would it be? Like one opening that you would recommend to anybody, just one, like the, the one chess opening that you, what, what would it be? Well, that's a, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um, just like count to three and just say the first thing that comes up to your head. That's what I would say. Well, but uh, the thing is that, like, I'm not sure if the one opening that I would play for the rest of my life is something I would recommend uh, anybody oh, I else. I see. I see. So maybe the latter. Maybe the latter. Let's just say, like, one opening that you would recommend to to everybody, all levels. Wow. Um, let, let Let me take a few more seconds. And don't say the London. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm never going to recommend the London. Um, let me think a little bit. Um, yeah, that, that that's a tricky question. Yeah, because there are so many good openings that. <laughs> um, for white, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, sure. For white. Mm. Well, I I I will be solid. Yeah, I'm gonna go for the. For the Rui Lopez, the the Spanish, basically, I think it's a very good opening, and uh, I mean something that can work for all, all levels. Uh, I mean, and it's such uh, an exciting territory with so many things to uh, to learn. I mean, it's it's never boring, yes. So um, yeah, I'll go with this one. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And uh, I started actually. I I, I mean. So you taught me proper Rui Lopez, 
So it's one of the, the big, big achievements. I was always playing like an Italian game, uh, you know, like Bishop C4 and stuff. But now, not only am I a Ruy Lopez player, but apparently I'm an exchange Ruy Lopez player now. <laughs> um, so, hey, you know, you never know. We'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. Just mentioning that the exchange Ruy Lopez is not my idea. Yeah? This yeah, is yours. This is me. No, that's it's all me. It's all me. It's all me. Yeah. Well, anyway, I want to I thank you for, for coming on. I hope I have you as a guest again uh, in the near future. And um, yeah, best of luck okay, with your studies. I'm, I'm, hoping, uh, I'm hoping to see some, uh, some more good results. Uh, and uh, you know, thank you as always for the, for the coaching. You guys uh, can catch uh, GM Kobo on his uh, Twitch channel soon. Do, do you have a name for the Twitch channel that you want to you wanna plug for? Yeah, it's, it's called uh, uh, Fallen Chess Knights. Um, yeah, it's basically a chess channel of myself and uh, a few friends from Israel, and uh, nice. hopefully it will get more active uh, soon. Yeah. Well, yeah, awesome. So, Fallen Chess Knights on Twitch, uh, watch out for them. Give them a sub. I'm sure when, you know as as they become more and more active, they could they could use it. And uh, yeah, thank you as always. And uh, yeah, I'll thank you, you, David. And uh, yeah, thank you. It was my pleasure to to join. And, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, uh, and I'll see you next week. Bye bye.